0: Nate is away in Yakima, and I'm on the preaching schedule, so doing double duty today, so you can pray that the Lord would sustain me for the rest of the day. Uh, It's good to be with you. A couple of announcements before we get to uh, God's Word, well, just one announcement really is that uh, this afternoon after the second service at 1.30, we are having a newcomer's lunch at uh, uh, Ryan and Megan Wynn's home, and I really encourage you to come out, whether you've been coming for one week, and this is your first week here. And if so, a special welcome to you. I Hope you'll stick around and uh, give us a chance to meet you after the service. So whether it's your first week or you've been here for a few months and you're still kind of getting your feet a little wet, this is a great way to learn more about our church and also for us to get to know you better as well. It's, it's, you know, it's not a marketing ploy to make you become a member and get you tithing. That's not what this is for. This is just a way for you to learn more about us. So uh, there's a sign-up a link in the bulletin, page 18 in the bulletin. You can sign up there, or even if you just tell me after the service, hey, I'm coming, what's the address? I'll get it to you, and we look forward to seeing you there. So that's this afternoon, 1.30 to 3.30. And then, before we get to the text, just want to acknowledge the uh, kiddos in our midst who've been dutifully taking notes during the sermon. Uh, it seems like they're piling up more and more each week, which is great to see. We are more than happy to spend a couple minutes reading names if it means you kids are paying attention. So, Gabrielle Fredette, way to go. Annie, Caleb Onescek, Kanan, Havensong Lindsay, Henry Walker, Avaline Archer, uh, Penny, doing good work, Atticus, drew a, a puppy and a baby bu- puppy, which is really cute. Kirsten Ludeman, good job. Uh, Izzy Smith, We got, let's see, uh, Phoebe Rosenberg. The Rosenbergs are really going all in on the coloring, which is great. And then Josiah Neff. So good job, kids. Keep it up. You are making progress. Even if it feels like, why am I doing this? I don't really know what he's talking about. You are making progress in God's word. Keep at it. And we're proud of you for doing that. Okay. come now to the Word of God. Uh, If you brought your Bible this morning, and I hope you did, and I encourage you to to be bringing your Bibles with you weekly, even though we do have it printed in the bulletin, as someone pointed out recently. If we bring our Bibles to church, we're going to grow a little bit weekly in in knowing our Bibles better, just merely by turning to passage. So if you would turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, where it's printed there for you in the bulletin. And let's hear from the Word of the Lord. Verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. By your word you show us about yourself, about ourselves. And there's something here for us this morning for our lives. Help us to see it, to exult in it, and to follow you more closely because of what we find here. Guide us now by your Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've ever been to uh, the eye doctor, you have a sense of what the man in our passage experienced of moving from one degree of vision to another. You know, I don't know the last time you went to an optometrist, but you go through a series of checks on your eyes. You know, they start by seeing how do your eyes track? You know, how, how responsive are they? And how's the health of your cornea? And then there's the chart with the letters and you, know, you read what you can read and then one eye and then the next. And all of that is kind of zeroing in on the culmination of your visit to the eye doctor, which is to dial in your prescription. And you get behind that machine, which is called a phoropter, and I did not know that. I had to Google that. But it's that machine with all the the switches on it that the doctor uses to dial in your prescription, and he hits a switch. He says, how is that, blurry or clear? Blurry, okay, how's that? How about now? All he's just dialing it in. He's doing what he needs to do to get you clear vision. Well, here's Jesus with the blind man leading him from one degree of vision to another. This is both a miracle and a metaphor for spiritual understanding. And how about you? How is your vision? How are your spiritual eyes, so to speak? Are they cloudy? Are they mostly clear? are they totally darkened and you don't want to be here at all right now? A.W. Tozer says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Spiritual understanding. The ability to rightly perceive the things of God and ourselves and our lives in relation to him. What you see in your heart about God determines the course of your life. To know him and to know him rightly, this is everything. Our problems are highly related to how we see God. Other people's problems are highly related to how they see God. Do you see? How well do you see? And do you understand? Those are the matters of this passage. And so I want to talk today about spiritual understanding and how we need Jesus to cure our blindness and to continually correct our vision. And so we're going to talk about three things about spiritual understanding. And here they are for you taking notes. One, spiritual understanding comes through Jesus. Spiritual understanding comes through Jesus. Two, spiritual understanding comes in stages. It comes in stages. And then third, spiritual understanding comes with worship. It comes with worship or follows worship. So let's dive in and see what there is here to see. Our first point, spiritual understanding comes through Jesus. The simple fact of this story is that Jesus heals a blind man. The man could see or could not see, and then he could see. And the difference was the healing touch of Jesus. Sight came through Jesus Christ. The impact of this miracle for those who are in the story is to authenticate Jesus' ministry, that his ministry is from God. It is to show that he is the Messiah. You know, there's, a, there's an exchange in the Gospel of Matthew that puts this well. John the Baptist, who's the forerunner of Christ, is, he is in prison. And he's hearing word about these deeds of Christ. and he, So he sends word to Jesus by way of his disciples. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus doesn't answer him verbatim. He simply says, go and tell John. What you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. In other words, I am He. I am the Messiah who is to come. I am here now. Sight has come into the world, or sight has come to the blind through Jesus, so that people see that the Messiah has come into the world. That is the the function of this miracle in the story itself. However, For us, the readers, it is functioning here as a metaphor for spiritual understanding. For spiritual understanding, which comes through Jesus. And and I want to show you how that is happening in the book of Mark. But first, let's zoom out a little bit to to what the Bible says broadly about spiritual understanding. I have this uh, little uh, gospel tract that I, I bought some copies of in college and it's, it's just the, the Gospel of John in a little pamphlet. But it has this uh, short introduction to it, and the heading of the introduction is finding the answers to life's most important questions. You know, questions like, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And then it answers each of those questions briefly from John. And the reason that this is all a fitting introdu- introduction to the Gospel of John is that John begins by presenting Jesus as the logic of life. John chapter 1 says in the beginning was the word. And that word there in Greek is logos and it's a philosophical term meaning the divine reason or the underlying concept by which everything else is explained. It says the word was with God and then it heightens it and the word was God. And then it gives the word a human pronoun. He was in the beginning, or a personal pronoun, rather. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What is John saying here? That the divine reason of the universe is a person. And that it's the same person through whom the universe was made and for whom it was made, Jesus Christ. And he continues this metaphor of light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the true light. So friends, how do we see? How do we see with our physical eyes? We see when light enters into them. If you are sitting in a pitch black room and your eyes are open, you don't see anything. We need the light to see. Similarly, if the light of Christ has not entered the eyes of our hearts, we remain in spiritual darkness. Put another way, there is no such thing ...as spiritual understanding apart from Christ. Here's how 1 Corinthians 2 puts it. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God... ...for they are folly to him... ...and he is not able to understand them... ...because they are spiritually discerned. So then what changes that state for a person? It is the light of Christ... When God calls us to to salvation, the Holy Spirit lights up our hearts and minds at the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we see and believe and understand. And then our perspective not only on God changes, but the whole world changes. You may be familiar with this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. In other words, Christ is the logic of life. Spiritual understanding is not merely an understanding of spiritual things. Rather, it is an understanding of everything through spiritual eyes. It is a way of looking at the whole world and your whole life in reference to Jesus Christ, Logos, who explains reality in a coherent way. How did I get here? Jesus made me. How can I live forever, believe in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life? Why is the world so violent? Because we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. How should I love my wife like Christ loved the church? And on and on and on. Perhaps you are trying to answer life's greatest questions without reference to Christ. If you keep running into a wall in that venture, this is why. This is why. Jesus is the logos of life. Spiritual understanding comes through Jesus. Put your faith in Him and you will see. And you will begin to see more clearly. And that brings us to our second point. So first we've seen spiritual understanding comes through Jesus. Second, Spiritual understanding comes in stages. Spiritual understanding comes in stages. Another simple fact of this passage is that Jesus heals the blind man in two stages. Now first the man sees or says I see men but they look like trees walking. His vision is very blurry and distorted. Then Jesus lays his hands on him again and the result verse 25 He opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He passed from sight, or from no sight, to unclear sight, to clear sight. His healing was in stages. Now before we go on to talk about that our spiritual understanding comes in stages, and it does, I want to show you what Mark is doing by placing this account where he does in his Gospels. He is setting in writing an interpretive key, if you will, to the journey of understanding that the disciples themselves are on in real time. In the paragraph just before our passage, and here's where it's helpful to have your Bible with you, Jesus rebukes the disciples for their lack of understanding about what his feeding of the five and four thousand means. He says in verse 17, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? In other words, are you blind? And again, verse 21, do you not yet understand? Jesus is prodding them toward greater understanding. And then we have our two-stage healing. And then look what comes next. In verse 27, it's a different scene now. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he asks, who do people say that I am? He's checking in on the reports that have been going out about him. they answer him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And then he asks, but who do you say that I am? This is a checkpoint. Jesus wants to know. The disciples have been rolling with him for a while. Who do you think I am? They answer correctly. You are the Christ. And then... And here's the the big hinge of the Gospel of Mark. He begins to tell them plainly, in verse 31, how he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected and killed. And Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples, rebukes him. Peter won't have it. No way, Jesus. You are the healing Messiah, the Messiah of power. Not a suffering Messiah, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, what is happening here? The blind man in Bethsaida is acting as a metaphor for the disciples. They see dimly who Jesus is. They do not yet see clearly. They will upon his crucifixion and resurrection, see the full portrait of the Messiah. But right now, to them, Jesus is the Messiah who heals. Eventually, they will see him also as the Messiah who suffers. Jesus is conducting his whole ministry in two stages broadly. The first stage, healing and teaching with authority. And now he is beginning his second stage, the journey to the cross, where he brings forward for us to see that he is a suffering Messiah who comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, over the next couple chapters, he will three times make this claim about himself. And at the end of that section of Mark, towards the end of chapter 10, there is another healing miracle. The point is that those who see Jesus rightly see that he is a suffering Messiah. Jesus has yet to reveal this, and this is why he commands silence from people in Mark when he heals them, including this man. You know, he says, do not even enter the village. That might make your he- You might be scratching your head about that. Why is that? It's, he doesn't want his miracles to dominate people's vision of who he is. He has more yet to reveal. He isn't only miracle worker. He is also a suffering servant. He is trying to build, to paint an accurate portrait before the word of his deeds gets carried away. And so at this point in Mark, the the disciples are convinced that Jesus is one way and they doubt that he is another way, that he is also the suffering Messiah. And so it is with us. And so we come now to this aspect of spiritual understanding coming in stages for us. Our understanding of God also deepens and grows in clarity over time as we learn more about him in the scriptures and as we experience his involvement in our lives. You know, a lot of us start with Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we move on or build on, because that's always at the bottom, build on to things like, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. We do not begin there. We go in stages. I work in, in youth ministry here, and you know, one of the things that we notice uh, is, is how prayer requests change over the years. You know, uh, we've had a couple seventh graders pray that, that ask prayer requests that God would heal their sick bunny, which is is cute and is not wrong. In fact, that represents a right understanding of God. That he is the Lord of every living thing and cares about their lives and their sadness. But it moves on from there. You know, this last week, I had a, uh, listened to a high school boy pray in reference to the earthquake in Turkey. And the first thing he prayed was that somehow God would cause the gospel to go out and flourish in the midst there. He had grown in spiritual understanding. And so it is with us. You know, I don't know if you're much of a journaler. Maybe you've done the the daring act of reading through an old journal. Takes a lot of courage. What happens when you look back on your journal? You realize that what you thought you knew, you didn't know. You were so sure then that you were looking at everything rightly. But with time and perspective, you came to see things differently. We are growing. The Bible uses phrases like grow in the knowledge of Christ because it's a progression. That assumes that there is room yet to grow. And that right now, actually, you are lacking in your knowledge of Christ. That you are and I am in error in places of our lives. You know, there are some important implications of that for our life together. One is that we need to stay curious. What kind of learners would we be in the life of faith if we assumed our ignorance and our need of correction? How might you enter into conflict resolution if you came in thinking, I am probably at least partially blind what's going on here we would increase in wisdom another implication is that the transition from ignorance to knowledge is often painful many of the lessons that we learn are hard won for example conflict is how we learn about grace and forgiveness and saying hard things Loss is how we learn dependence. Sin, our own, is how we learn humility. Learning is often painful. And then another implication, friends, we need to have grace with each other. We need to have grace with each other because we are not all in the same place, but we are all on the same journey. Of learning. It's so easy to get irritated with somebody. How can they not see that dot dot dot? Don't they know better than... No, they don't. And there was a time when you didn't know it either. Everything you know, there was a time when you didn't know it. And you didn't discover it. Someone showed it to you. So let's have grace for each other and the courage to instruct one another in the Lord. It may be that the Lord's calling you to be the friend that brings the blind man to the healing touch of Jesus. I know of somebody who did this for a friend recently, and he may have saved that friend's life. Maybe God is calling you to be the friend who leads your blind friend by the hand to Jesus. And so, all of us are always in need of having our spiritual vision corrected. We need a second, third, hundredth touch of Jesus to help us see more clearly who He really is and what it means to follow Him. Spiritual understanding comes in stages. It comes through Jesus in hallelujah, because if it came through us, it would never come. It comes through Jesus by His grace. And it comes in stages. And lastly, spiritual understanding comes with worship. It comes with worship, or it follows worship. And you may be wonder, wondering where I'm getting this idea of worship, as the passage doesn't indicate anything about that, and it doesn't. But it's important to go here, because we need to avoid the mistake of thinking that when we talk about spiritual understanding, we mean what we know about God or just the Bible or theology. You know, there are plenty of people that we know who could talk theological circles around us, but we wouldn't go to them for advice. Why is that? Well, it's because they're not people of understanding, not in the way that matters for the life of faith. It's possible, even, that they have come to worship knowledge rather than the God whom they seek to know. There's a relationship between spiritual understanding and worship, and I want to show, show it to you. Psalm 115 is a psalm you should know because it reveals an important dynamic about the relationship between our worship and our formation. The relationship is that we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. Here's, all, here's how Psalm 115 puts it, starting at verse, verse 4 about idol worship become like them. Their gods are unhearing, unseeing, unfeeling, unspeaking. And so they too become that way. You worship a foolish God, you become a fool. You worship the living God, you become alive. You grow in the truth as he is the truth. You grow in grace as he is full of grace. Spiritual understanding is not about what you know but about what or whom you worship. If you worship money, you will know how to get rich. If you worship fame, you will know how to draw attention to yourself. If you worship sex, you will know about pleasure and secrecy. You worship the holy, living, all-knowing God. You see where this is going. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Spiritual understanding is primarily a relational category, not an intellectual category. Spiritual understanding is about whom you worship and whom you love. And so if you want to grow in spiritual understanding, become a worshiper of God and a lover of God. That is how you grow in spiritual understanding and not just encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. I can't remember who, but someone I know has the habit of of ending his prayers, we love you, God, help us to love you more. And I love that prayer because it essentially gets at the big problem behind all of this, which is that we don't love God with anything close to our whole heart and mind and soul and strength. That is the problem. So how do we grow in love for God? Well, how did we come to love God in the first place? We love because He first loved us. All of the habits that we employ for growing in love for God Reading our Bibles, praying, fellowship, worship, prayer, confession, repentance, all of these things, they are good and necessary. But if we do not do them in reference to Jesus' love, mindful of the relationship of love that exists between us and God, those things are not getting us where we want to go. They're dead weight. We must seek God mindful that he sought us and is seeking us, that he knows us and loves us. At the beginning of the sermon, I quoted A.W. Tozer in saying that what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, C.S. Lewis, writing 30 years earlier, took a different approach. He says this, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only, excuse me, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance, except insofar as it is related To how he thinks of us. In other words, my thoughts of God must follow his thoughts of me. He continues It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected, judged, examined. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible, and only possible by the work of Christ that any of us who really chooses shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son. It seems impossible. Await or burden of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. What is he saying? Underneath and lifting up our happy, joyful, honoring thoughts of God are his gracious, loving, and delightful thoughts about us because we are in his son, because he delights in us as we are in his son. Why do we stop going to Jesus to get our vision corrected? Why are there barriers we will not cross in our life with God? Why do we avoid a deep knowledge of him? It is because we are afraid to be known and changed. To grow in spiritual understanding is to put ourselves under God's searching eye. Because we do not study God without him studying us. And the study of God would be too great to bear if it weren't the study of a God who loves us unfathomably. but it is. And that's why the knowledge of God builds you up even as it unravels you. Why it gives you sight even as it blinds you. Why it heals you even as it hurts you because he is making you new. Transformation is painful and it is the way to glory. Spiritual understanding is not the mastery of theological thinking. It is first the deep conviction that God is good and that he loves you. Such that you actually then seek to see his face because it is the face of love. And so that you look forward to the day day that you do not see in a mirror dimly, but face to face. Then you shall fully know, even as you are fully known. Let's pray. Father, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We cannot ascend them. We cannot comprehend any of them unless you gave to us the mind of Christ. Keep us from the error of believing that spiritual understanding is purely about what we know. It involves our hearts, which we, we relentlessly withhold from you. So convey your grace to us that we might trust you more and go deeper in our knowledge of you as you know us deeply and yet you love us deeply. This is grace. We pray for these things in your son's name. Amen.